we're going through this series, and uh, we're in chapter 12. Today is really about um, gifts of grace. Um, in, your, in your Bible, it probably says spiritual gifts in the heading, but I really want to talk more about gifts of grace uh, this morning. And, and I want to hit you. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, I, it's ironic because I think this is the least number of jerseys I've ever seen in our church at any given time. Uh, you know, and uh, it just shows we do not have a horse in the race today, and that's okay. Um, but uh, and not even Dimple. I mean, not, not even our Patriot fan is able to wear her jersey today, right? It's, uh, it's tough. Um, so it's easy to get distracted today, and I, and I just want to hit, hit you with a point right up front. So if you don't grab anything else, I want you to grab a hold of this, which is um, when we talk about gifts, spiritual gifts, the gifts that, that God has given to us, uh, our tendency to think is it's the thing that he's given to me uh, for me to use in my life. But it's better to think about gifts, spiritual gifts, as the thing that God is giving to the church through me. Let me say that again. Sometimes we think about gifts as it's the thing that God has given me to enjoy, to, to use. Um, and, and there's an element of that, but, but it's better to think about it as the gift that God is giving to the church through me. Let me give you an illustration to help kind of put some flesh on that, because I know that it's semantics, and it's early on Sunday morning, and you're still trying to figure things out, right? But um, this past Christmas, anybody ever do gift exchanges? Like, uh, you guys, is that part of your family tradition or whatever? Every year, our tradition is to do it different every single year, I think. And uh, so this year, we decided that uh, we have four kids. Uh, they have five cousins, so there's nine kids all together. And we said, hey, instead of everybody buying gifts for all the kids, let's just have the kids do a name exchange, and they can exchange with each other. We didn't really do the math very well, because since we have four kids, we had to buy four gifts, so we really only missed out on one gift. Uh, but it worked out good for some people in our family, just not us so much. Um, so what that, what that meant was a couple steps to the process. First, we put all their names in a bowl, and we had to pull out and make sure you didn't get anybody in your own family. The kids would draw a name. They'd look at it. You know who you got? Yeah, whatever. Five minutes later, they're like, I forgot who I got. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know who you got? No, I don't remember. So we, we worked it all out. We figured out who, which cousin each kid had. We went, and we shopped for the, the, the kids, and by we, I mean Katrina went and shopped for the kids. And by her going and shopping, I mean she went on Amazon and she found the things and then it was delivered, right? But so we got gifts for the kids. Uh, Trina wrapped them up, made them look beautiful, you know, put to whoever, uh, you know, and didn't put, you know, because it's meant to be a surprise or everything. And then so the day of the gift exchange comes, we show up, we take all of them, we put the presents under the tree. And when it's time for the gift exchange, our kids come up to us and be like, all right, hey, where's my gift? And... Uh, and we're like, do you remember who you had? And they're like, I think so. <laughs> right? And they grab the gift, and we hand it to them. They walk over to the kid whose name they had, and they hand it to them. And then that kid opens it, and they get to enjoy the gift. And that's how I'm encouraging us to think about the spiritual gifts that God gives to us. Right? That, that, that wasn't a gift. That wasn't their gift. They were the one. It was their gift to give to their cousin, but they really just it came into their hands so that they could pass it on to somebody else. And when we think about spiritual gifts, it's not this present that we get to open and we get to explore and we get to enjoy, but it's really the gift that God wants to give to our church, and he gives it through each one of us. And so if you, if you grab nothing else, if you zone out, if you're thinking about the football game and the, the halftime show and all that stuff, which I don't encourage you to do, but if you do, the Cliff Notes version of this sermon is this. Think about the gifts that God has given you and how he wants you to use them 
for the benefit and blessing of others, how you can give away the gift. Because when we say like somebody's a really gifted musician or a really gifted artist or a really gifted uh, athlete, it's uh, when we say the, the gift that they have is what they give to the world, right? Everybody's celebrating Kobe Bryant because of, uh, because of the tragedy that happened, but because of the gift that he gave through his talent to the world, the gift of, of basketball that he gave, right? It, it was the gift that he gave away. And he got benefit from it, but it, but it was a gift. And, and uh, I think we got some Kobe's up in here, you know? <laughs> I think there's a lot of gifted people. So, uh, so let's just jump into the passage. We're really going to look at two things today. We're going to look at what, what are these gifts that he talks about, and then we're going to look at what are we supposed to do with them. So it's real simple, right? What, what are the gifts, and, what, and what, are, what are we supposed to do with these gifts? And so beginning in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this in verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So let's just pause there for a minute. Uh, they were coming out of this pagan culture, as we've talked about. Uh, Corinth was a wild city. There was a lot of crazy things going on, a lot of pagan worship practices, and most of, a lot of it was very ecstatic. It was very exuberant. It was very kind of wild worship where you would walk in and you'd be like, man, I don't know that that was good spiritual activity, but something was happening there, right? Like people seemed to be kind of out of control. There was things going on. And so that was the culture they were coming out of, and so that naturally made its way into the church. And so one of the things that they were dealing with, as we'll see, and um, it, it kind of continues for the, the next several chapters we're going to be looking at this, and so I'm not going to dig into all of it right now, but one of the things was that they were, uh, there was speaking in tongues that was happening in the church. And, and basically, as we're going to see later in chapters 14 and 50, like, Paul's basically like, hey, when people come into your church, they're confused because you guys are wild. You're just doing wild stuff and so he's trying to help them understand this gift of speaking in tongues within the context of the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church and how they're all ultimately meant to be useful to the church. And so what he's saying to him is that um, when, and, and there was this concern in the same way that they were saying, hey, what if I eat meat and I didn't know that it was sacrificed to an idol and now am I unclean or am I defiled because I ate this meat and I didn't even know it was demon meat, but it was demon meat and now, right? Uh, in the same way, he said, hey, if you're speaking in tongues, like you're not going to accidentally curse Jesus in tongues and not realize what you're saying. Like that's, that, you don't have to worry about that, but, but you, no one will say Jesus is Lord unless they're being led by the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean just those, those, those words in particular. It's not like you write it down on a piece of paper and say, hey, I'm trying to check if you're demonic. Read these words, and if you can say the words, Jesus is Lord, then we know you're good. It's not that kind of thing, right? But it's no one can live a life that demonstrates that Jesus is Lord. Profess it with your mouth and live it out and proclaim it and put it on display. You can't do that without the empowering of the Holy Spirit because our flesh wants to rebel, right? Our natural tendency is... It, often goes astray of God's path, of God's way. And, and so no one is going to say Jesus is Lord. No one is going to, to live that way unless they're under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So let's pick it back up in verse 4. It says, now there, there are varieties of gifts, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God. We see this Trinitarian picture, right? The, the Spirit, the Lord Jesus God, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Whatever it is, it's God who's empowering it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
the word that's, uh, that we translate as gift here uh, has the root word of, of charis in it, C-H-A-R-I-S. It's where we get charismatic, charisma. The word charis means grace. And so there's something that we lose a picture of a lot of times when we talk about charismatics and we talk about, uh, about these spiritual gifts, what we, what we can lose sight of a lot of times is that it is a gift of grace. It's not something that's uh, based on my capacity, my ability. It is something that God gives to me as an act of grace, undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted. In fact, many times if, if, if our, our inclinations are a certain direction, he'll, he'll, he'll give us a gifting in a different area because he doesn't want us to be puffed up with pride and think that we were the one that made that thing happen. So it's charis, it's grace. It's, it's, it's grace made evident through work. In verse 8, it continues, it says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, the temptation with this chapter and this passage is to get really dialed in on, oh, man, this is about speaking in tongues. Like, what, what are we going to learn about speaking in tongues? Should we be speaking in tongues? Shouldn't we be speaking in tongues? What are tongues, right? And, and really, my goal today is to steer you completely away from that <laughs> because it, it becomes a distraction from what Paul's really trying to— they, the Corinthian church was obsessed with speaking in tongues, and he wants them to say, like, hey, I need you to—that's a good gift, but it's got to be seen in perspective. It's got to be valued. And, and in fact, he's going to go into—in chapter 14, he goes into a lengthy discussion of the last three gifts that are talked about here, prophecy, speaking in tongues, and interpretation. So I'm not really going to touch on those too much. I do want to touch on the earlier ones in the list just to kind of think about what are the—what's the nature— and, he lists nine. It doesn't mean there's only nine spiritual gifts. There's other lists in other parts of Scripture. Uh, there's up to some counted as many as about 30, and even that is not a comprehensive list. The point is that these are gifts that God gives you. These are some of the ones that were on display in Corinth. Some of the ones that are on display here in the church may, may look different. It's interesting in the Bible, uh, I don't know that there's a spiritual gift of worship, right? I don't know that that's something, although if you were starting a church today, you'd be like, I need somebody that can preach, and I need somebody to lead worship, right? That's, that's what we're going with right off the bat. And yet that's not even something that's, that's listed in, in this. And so um, some scholars were very, as I was studying, were very specific on saying, hey, these are spiritual gifts, so don't confuse them with your natural giftings, your natural ability. But, but I would argue that everything that we have, every quality, every, every gifting is a gift from God, right? And so if you're naturally a people person, if you're good in a room, if you have a charismatic personality, that's a gift from God. If you're good with numbers and analysis and you can kind of see a bunch of confusing things and you can get right to the heart of what needs to go, that's a gift from God. If you're good with kids, that's a gift from God. If you're good with animals, that's a gift from God, right? If you, if, if you, can, um, if you can make small talk, that's a gift that many of us don't have, right? But <laughs> unawkwardly, right? Like uh, uh, it, all these things are gifts. And so I, wouldn't, I would encourage you, don't minimize whatever, whatever good qualities you have. Those are gifts from God. We shouldn't take pride in them. Uh, we shouldn't, wouldn't think that we're better than somebody else because we were given a different gift because the thing is we, none of us chose these gifts. We see this in our kids, uh, particularly when somebody gets hurt in our house. Uh, their different giftings come out. Uh, you know, uh, one kid will run away. Like if there's any sign of pain or possible blood, they're, they're headed in the other direction, right? They want nothing to do with it. Uh, another one will run up to us and be like, it wasn't my fault. I, I didn't do it, right? 
Another one will go right into the, the heart of it and be like, oh, you're okay, everything's fine. And they're actually the one that did whatever it was, right? <laughs> and we didn't teach our kids that. That's just, that's how they're wired, right? You're wired a certain way. In different situations, you respond. It, was something you, it wasn't something you chose. Your, how you were brought up might have affected it to some extent. But we're all wired differently. And, and the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from above, uh, from the Father of lights, right? So, so whatever good things we have, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're like, man, I don't see any of that list, I don't think that's me, so I'm checking out, right? You have gifts. They might not be in this list. Maybe they're in this list and you don't realize it yet. But you have gifts, and, and you need to figure out how to use your gifts for the, the blessing and the benefit of the body. As it says, uh, they're, they're, they're meant for the common good. So let's look at some of these gifts. The first one is a word of wisdom. Now, obviously, wisdom in general is a gift, right? To have, have wisdom uh, is, is a gift from God. Uh, but you can also look at the specifics of sometimes there's a word of wisdom of how to speak just the right word into the right situation in the right moment. We think about Solomon when the two women came and they both were saying, hey, that's my kid. And the other one saying, no, it's my kid. And, and Solomon says, all right, here's the solution. Cut the baby in half. And then you each get half. And the, the one who was the real mom was like, no, 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 just let her have it, right? And that's how he knew. That was a why. In that moment, he spoke a word into that situation to be able to tell and divide rightly who was telling the truth. Jesus often did this. The, the Pharisees would spend weeks coming up with the perfect question to ask him to trap him. And he would speak of word of wisdom that would just completely diffuse the whole thing. Have you experienced this in your life? Have you, you know, been talking to somebody and they're going through a difficult thing or you're, and all of a sudden you tell them something, you're like, man, I didn't premeditate that, I didn't think that, but that was pretty wise. <laughs> and I don't think it came from me. Like, I don't know how that got beamed in, right? I've, I've experienced that. Some of you, just so you know, if you sat down and talked with me, if I said something wise, it probably wasn't from me, right? It was, it was God, by his grace, speaking through me in, into your life. And I walk away just as amazed as you, like, wow, that was actually pretty good. We, we should desire that, right? We, we want God to speak words of wisdom through us. He talks about a word of knowledge. Again, there's this general, like, just, just having knowledge is, is a gift in and of itself, but there's sort of these special moments. You think about Jesus with the woman at the well, uh, right, where, where uh, he's like, go get your husband. And she's like, oh, no, I don't have a husband. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Actually, you had a bunch of husbands, <laughs> you, and, and now the guy that you're living with right now is not your husband. Now, how would Jesus know that, right? It's this kind of special God gave him that knowledge, in that moment. Some of you have, have experienced this, like all of a sudden you, like, you know something about somebody and God convicts you, like, hey, you need to go talk to that person and tell them this thing. And if you've ever had somebody come up and tell you that, it's kind of, it's kind of weird and freaky. And you're like, how do they know that? And like, is this legit or whatever? But, uh, but there's times where God speaks a word of knowledge for the blessing and the benefit of the church. It talks about faith. And this is uh, now saving faith to put your faith in Jesus in a saving way is a gift from God. The gift, repentance is a gift from God. Uh, from start to finish, it's God at work. And so if, you, if you're aware that you need Jesus and you've repented and you put your faith in him, that was a gift. But, but this isn't necessarily talking about saving faith. This is talking about, you know how there's those moments where everything's kind of falling apart and everybody's panicking and there's the one person that's like, man, guys, like this is going to work out. God's going to see us through. Remember who we're talking to, right? Uh, the, the God that, that did it before, he's going to do it again. I don't know why, but I just have this feeling. I, I just know that God is going to see us through that, right? And hopefully you've experienced that in your life where you have no reason to have faith, and yet you have faith that God is going to do it. We saw Jesus walk up to people that were in need of healing or they were coming on behalf of a loved one, and he said, hey, hey, do you have faith that I can do this? And they're like, yes, 
I believe. Help my unbelief, right? Like, I, I, I believe in you, God. That faith itself is a gift, a gift from God. Read a great quote, uh, you know, one scholar pointed out, hey, this isn't just optimism. This isn't just always seeing the bright side. Um, he had this great quote that only mildly relates to my sermon, but I loved it so much I want to tell it to you. Um, but it's from a guy, J.B. Uh, Cabell. I don't even know who that is, but here's what he said. Uh, the optimist proclaims that we live in the best of all possible worlds, and the pessimist fears that this is true. Let me say that one more time. The optimist proclaims that we live in the best of all possible worlds, and the pessimist fears that this is true. Is this as good as it gets, right? But neither of those things relate to faith. Faith is in the, in the face of realistically looking and saying, man, things are horrible. This is bad. But I believe God's still going to do something out of it. I believe God's still going to redeem this. I, th- I think he's still going to prove himself yet again. Hebrews 11 is filled with this hall of fame of people that just had the gift of faith in dire circumstances, in moments of need, that, that, that God blessed them with this overwhelming extra helping of faith and they were able to do great things because of it. It talks about healing. There's all, my, all through the Gospels, Jesus was a healer. He healed over and over again. And healing goes beyond just physical, but <coughs> excuse me. it's emotional. It's, uh, it's, it's relational. And uh, there's times when this probably gonna be multiple. I might need healing right now from this, right? Um, we tend to think immediately about physical healing, right? And, and whenever there's a need for healing, we always pray with the knowledge that God is able to heal and that today God can bring healing if, if he chooses to do that. The reality in our society is that we don't see it as much uh, today as what we see in the Bible uh, but if, if you know any missionaries that have worked in, in other parts of the world, if you've, if you have, in cultures where there is a more, where the spiritual realm is, is closer to the surface, that it's very common to hear stories of miracles. And um, there's just, God works in different ways in different societies and cultures. And, uh, and he does it, in essence, in those cultures, if there's demonic spiritual forces that are doing things, he brings healing as a way of proving like, hey, this is the guy you should listen to. This is, this is the one who truly carries my power. If, if we were to see a bunch of miracles here today, as much as we would want to see it, it wouldn't carry that same sort of thing because we don't live in a highly on-the-surface spiritualized culture. I think our culture is very spiritualized, but it's more insidious. It's more hidden. It's more secret. And so God works a lot of times in a different way, but I don't believe that the gift of healing is gone. I believe that God, I always pray with the faith that God can heal whenever he wants, however he wants, that he can do it. And that's how we should pray with that faith that God has the power to heal and ask him to do it, but trust that he's going to do ultimately his will. I think also sometimes we, we miss something when, man, those that serve as counselors uh, have, the, have a gift of healing, but it's, 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 a, it's a spiritual healing. It's an emotional healing. It's, they bring wholeness. They, they sit with someone who's in a broken place, and they walk with them to a place of health and, and, and wholeness and healing, and that's a gift of healing that God gives to certain people. To, to be a counselor is a unique calling and gifting, and and that's one that, that we need in the church. It's, it's powerful. It talks about the working of miracles. God's energy manifested in powerful ways. Again, it's not something that we see in our culture a lot here in America today, but it's around the world that, that there's often these reports of all these different miracles that God does and that God is capable to do miraculous things whenever he chooses. The, the skeptical Pharisees said, hey, Jesus, 
if you come down off the cross right now, now we'll believe you. If you do this miracle right now, that'll be the one that puts it over the top. And Jesus is like, I've been doing miracles for three years. And you wouldn't believe. And so what's to say that if I did a miracle right now that you would believe? And sometimes I think maybe that's how our culture is. We say, man, Jesus, if you just wrote, I am real in the sky, everybody would believe you. But, but our culture is so cynical and hardened that I'm not sure that that would actually break through to people. They'd find a way to explain it away. And so God works in different ways in different cultures. But this is what was on display in the culture of Corinth. We know in the first century with the apostles that they were seeing all these things happen. And there's an ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, it's like this. If you go to a fortune teller and they tell you crazy things that are accurate about who you are and where you've come from and things that there's just no way they can know, there's, there's three possibilities. Either that's knowledge that came from God. Uh, they're a really good scam artist and somehow they figured it out, right? And like in The Wizard of Oz. Uh, they're like going through your purse and figuring it out. <laughs> or they're, they're working with demonic power. Now, if it's a fortune teller, I'm pretty sure we can rule out that they got the info from God, right? So the options are you're being scammed or you're hearing info from a demon. So I'd say both of those are not wise to pursue. That's not something that we should, should go after, right? But there's this discernment, this ability to discern that when something's happening, hey, is that of God or is that not of God? And that was really important in, in their culture, like I said, where things, uh, some of what was happening in the pagan worship was coming into the church and saying, hey, that person is, man, they're getting like really... There's a lot going on there. Is that, is that an evil spirit or is that the Holy Spirit that's coming upon them? And so that was, that was necessary. Like I said, the last three, prophecy, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues, in two weeks we're going to really dive in deep on those. So I'm not going to really dig into that uh, in depth at the moment. But this is, uh, the big picture I want you to see is this was a picture of what was happening in their church. The question for us is what's happening in our church? What are the giftings that we see here? Do you understand the gifts that God has given you to use to bless the body of Christ? Do you understand how he's uniquely created and formed you to use those gifts? And so when we think about what those gifts are, the second question is, all right, how are we meant to use those gifts? And I think as we think about how they're meant to be used, maybe you'll get a, a clearer picture of maybe some of the gifts that God has given to you. And so in verse 12, it says this. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. From one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. He uses this incredible analogy of a body, right? He says, he says uh, all of the different pieces have different functions and roles, but it's like all part of one body, right? Like I've got my pinky finger and I've got my nose and I've got my ears and my eyes and, and my heart, right? They're all distinct in their function and their role, but they're all part of Ezra. They all make up me. In the same way, you're all part of the body of Christ, but you have distinct and unique roles and functions, and, and you're created in different ways with different giftings, and, and, and you should celebrate the unique thing that's created in you. He says that, that we were baptized into Christ, and we were made to drink of one spirit, which is a weird, uh, it's an unusual phrasing, right? But I think the picture is this. If you think, imagine a boat that's out in the ocean, right? It's surrounded by water. That's, that's sort of one, one picture. But now imagine a submarine that's under the water. It's completely immersed. The, the water is all around it. But what he's going is another level. He's, he's saying, like, now imagine we pop those hatches open and the water actually goes into the sub. It's just completely, it's, it's just completely surrounded, immersed, filled. And that's what he says. As Christians, we should be, that's how it should be with the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't just be around the Spirit. We shouldn't just be immersed in the Spirit, but we should be filled with the Spirit. It should be outside of us and it should be inside of us. The problem for us is that sometimes in, in, in our church, and our culture, we can be in it, we can be around it, it, we can be like, yeah, sure, I'm a Christian, like, all I see is water all around me, right? But, 
but we actually haven't allowed it to come within us. And because we haven't allowed it to come within us, we're not, it's not flowing out of us. The, their tendency was to, um, to sort of have this uh, spiritual experience without engaging their minds. Ours is the exact reverse. We, we engage with our mind. We logic like, yeah, I believe that stuff in the Bible. I think that's true or whatever. But, but, but we tend not to engage with our spirit. And, and so to holistically to live as a Christian, we need both. We need to be immersed, saturated, filled, drenched with the spirit. So a question for each of us this morning is like, hey, am I, am I, just, am I just a boat floating on the surface or am I gone in and opened up the hatches? And if you haven't opened up the hatches, maybe that's the right prayer for you today. Lord, I, I want you to fill me up. I, I don't just want to be floating on the surface. I want, I want it all. I want to be filled with it. I want to be overflowing with it. Verse uh, 14, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it, uh, that would make it, not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. I love the picture of God arranging the parts. Like you're here at Riverside. If, if you've made this your church home, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Come, come back. We, we want you to be a part of it. But, but if God's called you to be a part of this church, he arranged you. He put you here because you have a unique thing within you that, that nobody else here has exactly in the same way and that he wants you to use to be a blessing to our church, to his church. We shouldn't be envious of another person's gifts, and we shouldn't devalue our own gifts, right? Whatever God gave you is exactly what he intended to give you and exactly what he wants you to use to feel fulfilled life. It's easy to look at somebody and say, oh, man, I wish I could sing like them. I wish I could teach like them. I wish I could, uh, I wish I could, I had the skills that they have. All oh, that person is able to build things. Man, I can't build things. Whatever it is, we, we tend to look at other people's gifts and kind of wish that we have those, but God gave you exactly what he intended to give you. And so the best thing that we can do is figure out what gifts he's given us and make the most of them, to unearth them and, and to use them for his glory. That's how we can find true fulfillment, not by stealing somebody else's gifting, not trying to be like someone else, not trying to emulate the gifting that God's placed in someone else, but to, but to unearth our own unique giftings. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're to value and to care for one another. We give greater honor and care to those who need it more. And a spirit of independence and superiority are, are harmful to the body. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep because our lives are interconnected. And this, this relates directly to a lot of things that we've been talking about over the past couple years of how do we really be one unified body in Christ? 
and, and it has to do with incarnating, with getting to know each other. And it has to getting to know the areas where, uh, where, where there's a struggle that you have that I might not have. It, it, it ties into our discussion of, uh, of, of race and, and racism and, and those sort of things that, uh, that some of us have experienced things in, 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 their, in their life and their upbringing and their growing up based on our ethnicity that other of us haven't. And we can't just, like, disregard that, just set that aside and say, like, hey, just, you know, Jesus said forgive and forget, right? Let's just move on, right? Now, part of loving each other in the body is, is, is understanding one another, understanding how each person's unique upbringing, their makeup, their ethnicity, their background, how that impacts the way that they worship and understand and know Jesus and, and to come with empathy and to come with compassion and, and to move towards healing. The, the mistake, and we, we went through the uh, undivided study um, last year, and uh, for those that went through that, you know, one of the, the, the things, you know, hey, let's just be colorblind. Let's just pretend like there is no color and that we can all just, well, ultimately, that's an aspirational place that we want to get to. But if you try and jump there without doing the healing work that's necessary to make sure that everybody is, is brought along board, it, it, it's cheap peace, Right? And so that's something that we're committed to as a church. Um, that's why last week I, I preached at a church in the Northeast, predominantly African-American church, that we're trying to build a relationship with so that we can, we can work together uh, to, to be a better picture of what the whole body of Christ is meant to look like in this community. And so uh, we're going to keep pushing into those things. I don't know if you guys know, but there's an election coming up this year. I don't know if anybody told you that. I don't know if, uh, if, if word has gotten out yet. <laughs> but, man, it brings out the worst in us. And in the body of Christ, it brings out the worst in us, where we, we were very divided. And, um, and we say things on, online that we would never say to each other's face in disrespectful, dishonoring ways. Like, hey, if you don't believe this, you must not love Jesus. Well, man, you don't, you don't know what's driving the things that they, that they care about, the things that, that they're passionate about. And so what we need is dialogue, but we need, we need, uh, we need compassion we need to, to, to speak with understanding. We can't speak with these sort of absolute statements like anybody who would vote for this person is completely not with you. Well, you can't just throw out a blanket statement like that, right? We, we've got to understand each other's motivations. And my goal and my hope and my desire is that we as a church could, uh, could model something to our society that looks different than the world around us that's, that's polarized and divided. Uh, the religious people, the church, that are accused of being super polarized and isolationist could actually prove to be the most loving, caring um, open community that, that exists. But that would be my goal. That would be my desire. It's all wrapped up in here. I'm not shoehorning it in, I promise you. <laughs> that's what he's talking about here, right? That, that's what it really means to function as the body, to use our gifts to, to bless so that we all rise together, right? The whole thing's like one big Spartan race. It's not, it, we don't win until we all cross the finish line, and so we all got to cross together. And so we don't elevate ourselves because we think our gift is better than somebody else's gift. And we don't degrade ourselves because we wish we had a gift that we don't have. But we all do our peace that God has laid out for us. Verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. 
we see here, and I don't have time to unpack all of it, but it's another gift of lists, and some of these are more roles than they are gifts. Um, but he's just, he's just reemphasizing, like, hey, the church needs all these different functions. It needs all these different roles. It needs the apostolic leader that's going to initiate and start and go and, and, and do something where the, the Spirit of God has not yet worked but sees a future there. And, and they need the teachers to fill every, everybody up with knowledge and wisdom. And some of you have a teaching gift that, that you need to explore. How can I use this? God, are you calling me to lead a small group? Are you calling me to, to get involved with our kids' ministry because they need good teachers? Because the thing is, when we're, when we're working out of our gifting, um, it, it's energizing. Right, And so what we want is we want people teaching our kids who, who get energized. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. I, I believe I have a gift of teaching. I enjoy coming up and teaching and preaching. This is my fourth week in a row, so I'm tired. Right, <laughs> So, so uh, it doesn't mean that I, don't, I, I love doing it, and, and I would do it better, but I'm better when I get a break for a week or two, and then I can come back with fresh energy. Right, So, so it doesn't mean that you never get tired when you're operating your gifting, but when, you, when you're operating your gifting, it's a get-to, not a have-to. And that's what we want all throughout this church. We want people doing things that, 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 that they're gifted to do. It talks about helpers, to take a burden upon oneself. Some people just have that, uh, they just see what needs to do, be done and they do it. That's a gift. Man, as a pastor, I can tell you that's an incredible gift to me when there's people that just see a need and they just meet it. Oh, do we need to put these chairs away? Do we need to take these tables down? Hey, like, uh, what's going on with the lawn out here? Does somebody need it, right? Like, the, the people that have those giftings, man, that's an incredible and necessary uh, gift in the church, the people that like say, hey, that person's new. I don't think anybody's talking to them. I'm going to go talk to them. What is your gift? What's the gift that God has given you to give to this church? Ultimately, uh, we see in Jesus, he had every one of these gifts. We see him displaying perfectly every one of these gifts, except uh, Jesus doesn't speak in, in tongues uh, in, the, in the Bible, which is interesting because that was the one that the Corinthians were elevating as like, man, this is the gift we all want. But what we really see is Jesus was, was doing all these, these other gifts, right? Is there, is there someone who had more wisdom than Jesus? Is there somebody that had more knowledge than Jesus, that healed more, that did more miracles? And yet what's amazing? Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, I got this. <laughs> you can all take a seat. I mean, he could have, right, probably. But instead he said, no, I want to build a team. We're going to do this together. I'm pretty sure that none of our gift mixes exceed Jesus, right? <laughs> And so we all need each other. We need to be part of a team. We need to have a desire to work together, to do more together than we could do on our own. That's what, that's what church is all about. That's what being a part of the body. And so, yeah, I invite you to come to the Vision and Values class that's coming up in a couple weeks to see how you can be connected into a part of what God is doing here at Riverside and how you can use your gifts to further his kingdom and his message in this area. Because all these gifts are from Jesus, all these gifts are for Jesus. If you're here today like, man, I don't know what my gifting, I, I can tell you the way to, to find it out is to get closer to him. The closer you come to the source, the more clearly and purely you're going to understand how you're gifted and how you can use those gifts for God's glory. And that's what we want to unleash all of you to do so that we can do it together. Let's pray.